You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Good evening, welcome to Exodus Unveiled. Tonight we are on the eighth parsha, Ki Tisa. And the parsha begins with a very interesting mitzvah, the mitzvah of the half shekel. It was given by every Jew. Uh, Moshe tells them, collect a half shekel uh, from each Jew. And today in modern Israel, we have the shekel is revived. Shekel literally means a weight, but it was the standard coin. And it was given to the temple. It was a way of counting the people. There was a prohibition of counting uh, numbers. And uh, when King David did, a plague broke out amongst the Jewish people because that divides the people. And so how do you count them? You Each one gives a half shekel. You count up the sum, and then you know how many you have. Uh, there was also another dimension to the mitzvah, which is that everyone giving this fund went to the daily offering that was brought. So in essence, the daily offering was brought on behalf of all the Jewish people. Every single Jew contributed and said, you can't give more or less. This was the democratic democratization of giving and, um, and of participation in the service in the temple. Why half shekel? To show that every Jew is not complete unless they are part of the whole. Now, this uh, is left over from last week. It is um, part of a few commandments which have still have to do with the temple. And then we're going to go on to the golden calf, which is really the main focus of this week's Parsha. So the second one left over from the temple is the kior. There was a large brass basin that was put in front of the temple where the Kohanim would come in. They would wash their hands and feet. And yes, Jews did wash their hands and feet like Muslims do today. It was a way of preparing to serve God. Today, there's a mitzvah in the morning to wash one's hands. And it said specifically three times like the Kohanim did that we should feel every day we're preparing ourselves to serve the Almighty like the Kohanim did. And then the third mitzvah was to create this special scented oil that was used to inaugurate the Mishkan, all the vessels. Now, the oil was also used to inaugurate kings, to anoint the kings, which the prophet did. And really, it's a sign of designation, right? Non-Jews, they take a bottle of champagne, they break it on the front of a boat. Uh, Thousands of years ago, we were doing a sanctified act. Oil is a sign of abundance and plenty and of luxury. And we're showing that these vessels are set aside for a special purpose. And then it concludes talking about how it was built. And it said there was a special personality, Bitzalel, and he's the one who built the Mishkan. We're told he was very young. He was like King Solomon. He was 13 years old when he was anointed, uh, when he was appointed. And uh, now it's very interesting because Bitzalel was an artist. Yet, how can you be an artist when you are delimited by all of these commandments? So in the very end, it said, God said, do it like everything I commanded you, you shall make. And the idea is that even though everything was commanded, you can still make it within the framework of what is Judaism. One is supposed to use one's own personal creativity to enhance the mitzvah, not outside of the prescribed direction but to beautify it, to enhance it, to do it in one's own way. And it said he was filled with Chabad, 
What is that? Chachma, Bina, Vedat. Three types of knowledge, of wisdom, of understanding. Could have a whole class on that. And finally, artists are often people who have a very strong sense of self, right? Creative personalities, big egos, sorry to say. Um, but not always. Because Betzalel, his name literally means in the shade of God. And so what the message is, that he was humble. He had the creative side to him, but that creative side was channeled to serve the Almighty, not primarily to express himself. And so he was the one who built it. Then it shifts from talking about the building of the Mishkan to keeping the Sabbath. And we're going to see several times these two are juxtaposed to tell us the message that the Creative activities not done on the Shabbat are the ones that were specifically done in the temple, in the Mishkan, in building the sanctuary. And it says, now we're going to go to uh, shift back to Mount Sinai. And it said, God finished speaking and gave Moshe the tablets at the end of 40 days. Now, there are three partio, three sections which speak about Mount Sinai. Three weeks ago, I'm sorry. Yeah, three weeks ago, uh, four weeks ago, uh, Yitro was the actual giving of the Ten Commandments. Then the next week in Mishpatim, we had the events before and after the giving of the tablets, Moshe going up and down six days, uh, afterwards the 40 days. And now this week we have the sin of the golden calf. Now, uh, so it says Moshe went up for the first 40 days and he came, he, uh, the people saw that Moshe had delayed. What exactly that means, Rashi said, they thought he was going to come not for, after the end, of the end of the 40th day, but 40 days within, if he goes up at noon, he'll come back at noon. So one afternoon he wasn't around and they freaked out. Uh, they said, we need to make an Elohim or an Elohim uh, to make a God uh, because we do not have Moshe. And there's a big debate amongst this. Did they actually make an idol or were they making a representation of one of the dimensions of the aspect of God? Ezekiel's chariot had the bull on it on one of the sides. So maybe they're representing an aspect of the divine, but they they didn't have a human leader. They needed something to concretize their relationship to God. And Aaron told them to gather the gold. Why did he participate? So this is a very big question, and we're going to see Moshe gets angry at him. Um, One way to understand is Aaron was a man of the people, and he worked with the people. Moshe was a much stronger, was Mirat Adin. He was uh, directing, disciplining the people. Moshe was the love, uh, was, was the discipline. Aaron was the love. But the downside is he couldn't stand up to them. Or perhaps, according to Rashi, he was trying to delay them till Moshe would come down. Or, we're going to see later, uh, he didn't realize that a calf would be made. But in any, any case, he tells them to gather their gold. The calf is made. They brought offerings. He said, tomorrow is a holiday, meaning a chag, a holiday for God. But the next day it said the people ate and drank and mitzachek, which implies 
uh, immorality. And so it degenerated. Uh, Hashem tells Moshe, go down because your people have rebelled and they are stiff-necked people. And he said, Moshe, pull away and I'm going to destroy them. That's the end of them. And I will make you a great nation. Uses the same words he made to Avraham. So really it means we're going to start this enterprise over like we did with Avraham. You're going to be the next Avraham. And now Moshe mobilizes. He doesn't accept this. He says to God several things. First, he says, God, why be angry? Which we'll have to see. He invokes God's mercy later. Then he says, what are the Egyptians going to say? That God took this people out to kill them in the desert, right? God is fickle like one of those gods up on the Pantheon. And he said, also, remember the promise to the forefathers that you swore to that their descendants would be forever. Now, this argument I don't really understand because Moshe's descendants would be theirs as well, but uh, not the 12 tribes of Jacob. So it says Hashem reconsidered that which he had done. And now we have a little aside about the tablets. It said the tablets that Moshe was given were uh, made by God. They were written on both sides. And the Talmud said that was a miracle that they read back uh, right to left the correct way on both sides. Of course, it should be backwards on one side. It says it was the work of God. God made them. Uh, and even the writing was the writing of God. Charut al-Haluchot, famous rabbinic teaching. Charut, that through freedom that will come through the Ten Commandments. But back to our disaster. Joshua heals this, hears the sound of evil in the camp, the sound of war. And Moshe came, started to come down. He saw the Egal. He saw the people frolicking. He got angry. He threw the Luchot from his hands and broke them under the mountain. Then he did a shocking thing. He ground up this Egal, this calf, and he put it in water and had them drink it. Yuck. In a sense, what we would say uh, is that, and Rabbi Monk says this, these are my words, he, uh, he put it, he, he uh, kind of stuffed it back down their throats, right? You want this? You're going to get it right in the face. So Aaron tries to plead, you know, the people are inclined to evil. evil. Uh, when Moshe asked Aaron, uh, what did the people do to you that you brought this upon them? And it's very interesting language. Did the people do it to him? Did he bring it on them? Kind of a little of both. So he said, I threw it into the fire and an eagle came out, meaning this was some supernatural event. Aaron did not realize that a calf would come out. Maybe he wanted to like the sanctuary they'd given their gold. Um, Rashi says, that it was Egyptian sorcerers that channeled this eagle. Now, were those sorcerers back in Egypt or were they part of the Erevrav? Now, there were other Egyptians who left with the Jews. They somewhat converted, but many of the commenters point to a lot of the difficulties the Jewish people had in the desert were this Erevrav, this mixed multitude. And... Um, and through that, they say, well, the Jews didn't really do idolatry. The Chazanish, famous 20th century, great 20th century rabbi says, no, you can't try and explain it away, an aspect of God. You can't uh, make excuses. 
the Jewish people messed up. Although Nachmanides himself much earlier says that they were trying to fashion a dimension of the divine and not actual idol worship. But then they disconnected it from God and that was where the idol, they made it into an idol. Okay, so now comes the accounting. Moshe calls out, he says, who is with God come to me? The Levites gather around him and 3,000 people are killed. He says, even if you have to kill your brothers, very shocking. But remember, the people were given a chance. Moshe was back. Things go back to normal. So the people who didn't were really trying to rebel. And Moshe gave a blessing to those who defended God's honor. Okay, so we had 40 days that Moshe was up to get the tablets. Now it doesn't say it explicitly, but we know Moshe went back up another 40 days. Uh, the original 40 days started when? With Shavuot. 40 days later was... Um, the 17th of Tammuz, that's when the tablets were shattered, okay? And now Moshe is going to go back up for 40 days. And when he goes up, he asks Hashem to forgive the Jewish people's sin. And God says, well, I won't destroy them, but I'm not going to be with them. I will send an angel instead. In other words, they're going to have a spiritual intermediary. Because, and... Um, a plague did break out. God punished them. But he said, if I would be directly amongst you, you'd be destroyed. So you'll have to do with this angel. Moshe picks up his tent, moves it out of the camp because God is still speaking to Moshe. It says face to face, the cloud would descend on the camp and God would speak to Moshe. Um, and like a person would speak to a friend. And then he would go teach the Jewish people. It said, yeah, Joshua did not move out of the camp. So that's the second 40 days. So the Jewish people are given a reprieve, but not God's direct connection. And then Moshe goes back up another 40 days. When is that? That is the Rosh Chodesh Elul, the first day of Elul. And these are the days of mercy and forgiveness at Mount Sinai and later Jewish history as well. Moshe says to God, show me your ways that I should know you, that I should find favor in you. And God said, my presence will go and will comfort you. And Moshe says, if we don't have you, God, well, God's saying, Moshe, you will have it. And he's, God, Moshe says, if we don't have it, God, then don't bring us out from here. Um, in other words, it's all or nothing. We want you. So God said, Moshe said again, show me your glory. So God says, I will pass all my goodness in front of you and you will call out my name and I'll have mercy. And, but you will not see my face. He tells Moshe, because no man can see me and live. And he said, there's a place with me. I'll put you in this rock. My hand will cover you. I will pass by you. I will shield you. You will not see my face, but you will see my back. Now, we don't believe God has a hand. These are all metaphors. And what it was saying is that this is the closest man would ever get. God says, no man can see me and live, but you will see my back, so to speak. You'll see the uh, reflection of the divine in the world but you will not see me directly. In Judaism, we, don't, we believe you cannot experience the divine directly. It's too intense. 
but we do have aspects of that that we can access. And so um, God passes by and um, it says that the next day Moshe went up alone onto the mountain and Hashem came down in a cloud. Moshe called out in the name of God and God taught him to and called out, and he said the 13 qualities of God's mercy, the Yud Gimel Nidot, that we say over and over on Yom Kippur. They talk about God's goodness, God's mercy. That would be the subject for a whole uh, talk as well, which we're not going to do right now. But then it says God forgives, God cleanses, but then he says, he, but also he doesn't cleanse, and he pays back the wrongs of the parents onto the children. What does that mean? It means if we don't do tshuva, we have to do our piece as well. God just won't forgive without us uh, being contrite. But, and the commentators say, we don't believe God punishes children for the wrongs of their parents. What it means is if three to four generations of children continue in the same way, then they will get their punishment and also even more because they carried on what their parents had done and should have known better. So then it says that Moshe bowed and asked God to be amongst them and God forgave them and was reinstated. And Hashem said, I'll make a covenant that you haven't seen before. And it says that, um, but they were reinstated, but not totally to the same degree. Why? Because it said before, that they took off the crowns or the jewels that they'd been given on Mount Sinai. What does that mean? It means that uh, they had a spiritual light emanating from them onto their whole being. And that direct connection, my Nachmanides says, the reinstating of the experience of the state on Mount Sinai was not totally reinstated. So God says, I'll remake a covenant. I'll bring you into the land. Do not make covenants with the other peoples. Do not follow in their ways. Do not intermarry. Do not marry their children. Do not make gods like theirs. You have your holidays, your Passover, your Shabbat. Three times a year, you'll come to see me in Jerusalem. And no one will covet your land. You will not be attacked. And so it says Moshe was on the mountain 40 more days and nights. When did he come down? The day before Yom Kippur. And that's why Yom Kippur is the day of forgiveness. It says that Moshe didn't eat or drink for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he came down, his face was shining intensely. And the people were afraid. Moshe called them. He taught them the Torah. And then he would put on a mask. So Moshe had retained that state that they had had at Mount Sinai. But the rest of people did not maintain it. And uh, so this is the story of the Jewish people's falling from favor, Moshe sticking up for them, them being reinstated. And the message is, of course, that people fall low and maybe they've gone too fast, too quickly. But if we ask God for mercy and we show our goodwill, God will reinstate us and will reconnect with us. Have a Shabbat Shalom, everyone.